0: Every leader has a strategy. Executing on that strategy is the challenge. If you want to learn how to effectively achieve what you've set out to
1: accomplish, then this show is for you. Gain keen insights and listen in as leaders share their stories and challenges. SOAR Vision Group and the Baldridge Foundation welcome you to Leader Dialogue Radio.
2: Hi, everyone, and welcome to Leader Dialogue, brought to you by SOAR Vision Group and the Baldridge Foundation we are coming to you from the sonesta hotel in gwinnett county so thanks for joining us i'm duffy dixon joining me is ben sawyer the chief executive officer of soar vision group ben has more than 30 years of executive leadership experience and he launched the soar vision group to help align people with purpose and to achieve exceptional results sitting next to him is lisa council she is the chief commercial officer of soar now, she has spent 19 years or did spend 19 years at McKesson Corporation leading large teams in clinical consulting, EHR optimization, ROI teams, direct sales and sales support. And I also I always like to point out she did a lot of nursing in critical care. So it's always fun to have have her weigh in on, the you know, the frontline workers. Also, uh, our... Thank goodness our guest again for another week is Pam Connect. Now, Pam is the president and CEO of Accord Limited, a national consulting firm based in Chicago, and she is an expert in not-for-profit healthcare governance. For more than 22 years, she has worked with hospitals, health systems, clinics, and health plans of all types and sizes. Welcome back, Pam, for our second show. We appreciate you uh, joining us again.
1: Thank you, Duffy. I'm excited to be back.
2: One of the things we talked, to, uh, talked about after that first show was pointing out the difference between hospitals and not-for-profit hospitals.
0: So for-profit and not-for-profit and what the differences are. So maybe, um, Pam, you could shed a little insight in terms of at least the U.S. healthcare market, what is kind of the breakdown of, of for-profit versus not-for-profit?
1: Yes. My understanding is that there are currently about 5,000 hospitals across the United States and that about 75% of them are not-for-profit organizations. Um, About 25% would be for-profit organizations. In that not-for-profit grouping, however, there's a combination of those that are 501c3 not-for-profit organizations, in other words, private not-for-profits, and ones that are governmental entities. And so um, you there is a slight distinction that can be made there between, you know, a governmental entity versus a 501c3 entity. But the vast majority of hospitals and health systems out there are not for profit, despite what many people think. Right. <laughs> some of the very large health <laughs> systems appear to some of their communities as though they are for profit, but they're not. They're based on uh, the community benefit standards and are not for profit organizations.
0: Right. So for our listeners, we're just going to ground you right from the beginning and, um, we are uh, talking about issues that leaders uh, are challenged with. We refer to it as leader dialogue, and we have a website called leaderdialog.com. Dialogue is spelled D-I-A-L-O-G-U-E in that in that web link. And on the home page, there is an organizational hierarchy of needs. Turns out that within the Baldridge standards, which is a very very robust performance excellence framework that was initiated by President Reagan in 1987 in order to underscore um, American exceptionalism. And it has been maintained under the National Institute of Standards and Technology, or NIST, since that time. It continues to get uh, upgraded. That within that robust structure lurked an organizational hierarchy of need. So for many listeners, kind of like Maslow's hierarchy of needs, it turns out organizations have the same thing. So in this, deep dive session we get a chance to sort of take apart what we learned last week when we were talking about governance and management and board functions and how do you how do you function well in in rapid complex changing organization markets Um, and now we get to deep dive and connect the dots to that so this is always a fun part of the of the process so to get the ball rolling um, with that and Pam I'm going to Pose this question to you. Um, we left off talking about how healthcare is perhaps the most complicated industry out there. Some might argue that that um, uh, nuclear is, you know, is is perhaps that, or others might aerospace, aerospace, mm-hmm. etc. But I, but, but
2: healthcare is right up there. <laughs> healthcare is complicated.
0: There's a lot of moving parts and so forth. So let's start off in terms of the deep dive with just a little bit of of a reflection on that for boards in general for-profit not-for-profit whatever what are the things that they need to to be thoughtful of in this healthcare uh, market
1: well i think probably the most important thing for any board is to make sure that it has the right Skills, competencies and perspectives on it so you need to um, create really robust processes by which you determine what kinds of competency skills and perspectives are needed by this particular board to help oversee the organization that it is supposed to be overseeing so for instance in the healthcare world now um, there are a couple of interesting changes that are occurring in the in this area you know, historically, hospital boards have been made up of people who understand the acute care setting, not necessarily people who come from outside the acute care setting. So what we're looking at now is we're moving into population health management approaches to healthcare. care. Probably makes sense to have people serving on your board who understand um, the actual other components. So for instance, the full continuum of care, looking at prevention and wellness, as well as uh, considering the the subacute and the long-term care and the home health and the hospice. In other words, there are lots of other components of making sure that a person remains healthy throughout their entire life um, that your typical hospital board hasn't necessarily uh, known a lot about. So that would be one example of how you need to make sure your board has the right as I was saying, skills and competencies and perspectives. By that, I refer back to the conversation we had last week around making sure you've got the right kind of diversity. And I mean that in all senses. Do you have um, a board that reflects the people that you're serving? So that may be a diversity of age. It may be diversity of ethnicity. It may be uh, as well diversity regarding gender. And so uh, let me pause because I know I'm doing a deep dive here on making sure you've got the right competencies on a board. Um, yeah. What questions, if any, do you have around that? Well, those are
0: issue? yeah. I have a few actually. Those are those are really good uh, insights. And I guess a couple questions. First of all, one is about uh, the process. How do you essentially uh, identify and recruit and retain good board members? A second question is correlated with that: is how often should a board be doing that like is that an annual uh, uh every three years event like like how particularly because uh, the marketplace has sped up is there a need to also uh, increase the frequency of essentially board transitions so just to start with those two what what are some <laughs> of the the recommendations there pam
1: so I'm actually going to elevate the conversation a little bit to say that a really important practice, I believe, is for a board to have a governance committee that would be looking at these issues. Yeah. And so, um, unfortunately, not all boards do have governance committees. We're seeing a trend towards more governance committees, um, but I'm always amazed that when the data comes back from the Governance Institute or the American Hospital Association, that it's still under 50% of hospital and health system boards that use governance. Hmm committees so there should be a governance committee in place that governance committee should every year revisit the process that it's using for recruiting and selecting board members and for that matter that there ought to be a process regarding reappointment of board members as well right and because all too often people may have a term of three years and then three years comes up and the board says oh, let's just reappoint this person without any really good formal process for right. making sure that this person should still actually be serving on this board and taking up a seat that maybe could be used by someone who would have competency skills and perspectives that are needed by the board at this point in time.
0: So uh, in in terms of managing the board, does the governance committee also have the response, responsibility of essentially, this may be too strong a term, but discipline? In other words, this board member, we thought, was you know a good fit a good fit between the ruts of the road relative to what we needed and uh, that seems not to be the case anymore so what do we do about it is that a governance committee issue that they typically will deal with or how is that handled
1: normally the discipline of a board member um, would be up to the board chair not to the governance committee what the governance committee would normally do is what i'm going to refer to as sort of almost staff work for the board so and the board chair for instance I was just in a meeting yesterday with a board where um, they had ten people whose terms were up and they had a a matrix with data in it to help them determine which of these board members they want to go ahead and reappoint and the matrix included things like how often do they attend board meetings how often do they attend committee meetings whether or not they seemed to be prepared for the boarding committee meetings, whether in this particular case the board was looking for people who were um, able to provide philanthropic assistance, and so, and they had set up a bar <laughs> under and over which uh, board members were expected to provide contributions. There wasn't in this matrix a discipline column, but (laughs) I think that when a governance committee would meet to determine whether or not someone ought to be reappointed, um, there ought to be a candid conversation about whether this person is functioning as a a contributing board member or not. But the actual talking to a board member who is acting out or not, you know, Hopefully not acting out in really negative ways, but um, who may not be understanding the governance management distinction, that's up to the board chair.
0: That makes good sense. So for the listeners, what's interesting about this is if you think of the board and the front line as kind of the sandwich, right? They're at the top and front lines at the bottom and people are in it, there still is the same processes that go on no matter where you're at in the in the organization. and that has to do with colleague engagement. So whether it's a board member, a management team member, a frontline resource, the organization has to be true with what it's trying to accomplish, and these roles need to provide a certain uh, approach and discipline to be able to make that happen.
2: I love that idea of a matrix too, because those are tangible things, yeah. and it's and it becomes less emotional. Um, you know, when I mean, if attendance is important, if you're a board member, which obviously it is, that should be one of the criteria. If it's and and she said if they're looking for people who are helping to generate money I mean that's that's something that you are expected to do that's smart
0: so in as we think about that in regards to management and board supervision of management essentially or uh yeah supervision of management I guess is the appropriate term are there uh certain standards or expectations that board should be thinking of and are increasingly thinking of as it as it relates to the CEO and other members of the management team Pam
1: well, one of the main responsibilities of any board is to ensure that their uh, senior executive is the right person. Yep. And so um, at a very basic level, a board needs to make sure that the the CEO is hired, um, who has been hired by the board, is actually also meeting the board's expectations. So there ought to be written expectations for a CEO's performance and the performance of the organization, and the board ought to have... Rigorous processes by which they evaluate the CEO's performance vis a vis those expectations in a mutual conversation. (laughs) So it's not just, you know, the board talking among themselves without the CEO. Right. And the other thing that's important and unfortunately not done enough is there needs to be a written succession plan for the CEO. Unfortunately, in healthcare, we still only see about 27% of hospital and health system boards saying that they have written succession plans for their CEOs. Wow. And I think that's a travesty. Yeah. (laughs) You know, given how important it is that a board makes sure that they have a senior leader for their organization.
0: Right. That is Those would be a few
1: things that I would reference. Yeah.
3: Especially in light of their tenure. I mean, again, some CEOs have been 20, 25 years, but that has changed radically in the market. It's a much shorter window of time. So you would think that succession plan would be, again, kind of a normal cadence.
0: Yeah.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. You would think so. Unfortunately, um, a fair number of people in healthcare, including the board I was with two days ago, just said, oh, well, we'd have to do an external search to find a CEO. And then, and that's all they say. Yeah, so <laughs> they, there
0: you so have so it. So we don't have to write it down. <laughs> yeah. No succession <laughs> I, plan I, needing. Go bring in a new person. <laughs> yeah. Right? yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. I mean... Doesn't make sense, but I understand that. I was going to say, don't tell that. Don't no, 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 tell no, that to I, the
2: people working just under the CEO. No, and think, hey, maybe I could become the CEO. Yeah.
0: So one of the other things I was going to ask about, as it relates to uh, uh, oversight of management, particularly the CEO and the expectations, is: Have you seen changes in how non-for-profit boards set expectations for CEOs? For example, have they become more performance-related? Like, you have to fulfill the strategic objectives, EBITDA, and things that have maybe historically not been as focused on in healthcare because it's been more of a social institution rather than a a business. Have there been those kinds of changes that you've seen, Pam?
1: Yes, I think there's been a movement towards more measurable outcomes uh, that are required of a CEO. Um, unfortunately, it's still not great. Um, there are a number of organizations that I don't think put enough measurability into the expectations they have for their CEOs. And an area that for a hospital or health system is really key and lacking is outcomes regarding the quality and patient safety
0: right, right.
1: of the organization that the CEO is overseeing. Um, I, there are numerous studies from the American Hospital Association, the Governance Institute, and now even um, the Institute for Healthcare Improvement, which have documented that there's an actual relationship statistically between including in the CEO's evaluation metrics regarding quality outcomes and the improvement of quality in the organization. And so I Mm. think that's something we should underscore is that not only should boards make sure that their CEOs have measurable you know expectations but that there are quality specific expectations in those metrics
3: pam i'm just wondering again being the nurse at the table i that that's shocking to me actually but i wonder if there's a bit of a of an expectation of different leaders inside of the organization for maintaining that quality such as the chief medical officer um do you believe that maybe that's why there is not you know, a performance indicator required at the CEO level that we're going to have that at the CMO level or someone, you know, VP of quality or, you know, someone else, because that seems like a pretty big miss. Well, that's a
1: good question. I do think, obviously, the chief medical officer or the chief nursing officer would need to have um, metrics in their evaluations regarding quality because they're Primarily responsible for that, but I don't think that excuses the CEO or the board from having quality indicators. And I guess what I would also say is the kind of quality indicators I'm talking about are macro level. So uh, a CEO's evaluation uh, would include big quality indicators. Like I'm thinking I was with a board in Florida recently where. Um, the CMS five-star rating for Mm -hmm. quality in that Mm -hmm. particular board was one star when it was five is the highest. Mm
3: -hmm.
1: I mean, that should be on the CEO's performance evaluation. Well, another one
3: that comes to mind is LeapFrog. So LeapFrog is a, a, you know, community-based kind of notification and promotion, um, and literally hospitals can be A, B, C, or D. You can be in an F category. I would think that would be would you see that as kind of a macro measurement as well? Absolutely. And this same hospital had major problems
1: with their leapfrog scores, too. So, so
0: I, I want to linger. That's why I was there. Yeah, <laughs> the board yeah. hadn't
1: done a good enough job of overseeing the CEO's, you know, um, yeah. performance.
0: So I want to linger on this for just a little bit because it's, it's sort of interesting, that statistic that you said that the organizations where they have clear expectations of quality with for their CEOs actually – outperform or do much better than if they don't have that. Um, and what I want to do is couch this kind of dis, this exploration under organizational effectiveness, which is the level between colleague engagement at the bottom and customer value right above it. And that is how do you translate uh, good governance, good leadership, good execution, right, on the part of uh, operators in the front line to ensure organizational effectiveness um, so let's linger on that for just a, a minute. A- any other sort of insights on that, Pam, relative to why there's such a statistical difference in terms of, of CEOs being accountable for quality and and the organizational quality uh, being higher for those CEOs? Well, there are
1: probably an, a number of explanations, um, Only some of which i could speak to one of the cha- let me perhaps answer your question by making a suggestion mm-hmm. the one of the things that is really important for a board to do is to insist that there is a board strategic dashboard and by that i mean an overarching scorecard or dashboard of for the organization's strategic plan and Included in that dashboard should be quality indicators, such as the ones we're just talking about, whether it's a leapfrog or whether it's a CMS, you know, five-star rating. The macro-level kinds of metrics, like that, operating margin or bond rating, might mm-hmm. be similar yeah, kinds yeah. of metrics, you know, for the financial uh, world. And you might have employee engagement or, um, you know, patient satisfaction as other macro-level metrics in this dashboard. And so from, I know I'm answering sort of from the top down, is to say that I think the board ought to make sure there is such a strategic dashboard that includes the metrics that are part of the strategic plan, and that quarterly the board asks management to give them the color-coded dashboards showing how well are we doing as an organization vis-a-vis the metrics that the board set together with management. And then the conversation at the board level ought to be around um, why aren't we making progress on that particular let's say leapfrog indicator um and, and in that way the board can help refocus management on a um metrics and b getting processes in place that will make sure that they're improving their performance on those key metrics
0: right so it's interesting when you talk about uh, measurement and clear management measurement that cascades that is a baldridge hallmark uh measurement and analysis and making sure that everything you do uh, you're able to define clearly what you're trying to accomplish and then be able to compare those results um, as a part of high performance organizations so that's that's um, makes a lot of sense Um, so from the standpoint of this macro level dashboard is there is, is this typically like you know 15 items or less or could it be 50 items like is there is there a threshold of, like, we only want to be able to look at, you know, some limited set to be able to be effective in it?
1: Definitely should be a limited uh, number of metrics, usually one page on a PowerPoint slide. So you're probably going to be somewhere around 10 to 12 would be my guess, not the 50 that might be part of the, the detailed quality committee report. On all of the metrics that because organization if it's macro, needs to be you, measured on,
2: to go with
3: macro, right? Either. Macro
1: level roll-up metrics yep. and or ones that the organization is failing miserably on, mm-hmm. and are therefore being um, put into the dashboard so the board can have the discussion with management around how are we doing on you know changing whatever it might be like you know our readmission rate,
0: right. So one of the things we see, and we've talked about with listeners uh, in previous shows, is this concept within the organization itself of meeting stew, and 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 we uh, um, shamelessly steal from Pat Lincioni on that from his <laughs> Five Dysfunctions of a Team book. Um, but basically, the idea is that the organization has a series of I mean, they have communications going on all the time in their departments and their teams and whatever, but it doesn't necessarily tie to Specifically, the strategy or these kinds of measurables, and therefore it becomes meetings too. It's more updates and hey, so and so just joined the organization and stuff like that, right? So strategy execution um, becomes strategy frustration. Right. Right.
3: You, right you're <laughs> tackling the uh... yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, so how often is are those kinds of issues percolating up to the board, and what kinds what kinds of things would. Uh, the board be looking for symptomatically um, you know, to stay on top of that, Pam.
1: I want to make sure I'm understanding your question. Do you mean how often are issues around quality percolating up to the board, or do you, are you referring to something different?
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm referring to uh, the measurement system itself. In other words, once they have the macro-level measures and there's a cascade, down of all the related measures whether it's quality or whether it's finance or whatever the case may be what is the recommended um uh, oversight and and cadence of a board relative to that kind of a performance structure
1: well i'm going to answer your question by bringing us back to what is the role of a board versus the role of management in these issues right. and the probably the simplest way to explain it is, you know, a board should be functioning with committees, and the committee should be, um, among other things, for instance, in the area of quality, ought to be um, making sure that management has in place processes that are uh, needed for key areas. So, for instance, there ought to be a quality improvement plan that the quality committee of the board looks at and says, right. you know, yeah, that looks good or, or not. There ought to be Um, credentialing processes that are clearly articulated um, by the quality committee, and the quality committee then can say, you know, I think we're missing a criteria that ought to be used when we're considering whether to credential or recredential our physicians. So it's usually at the committee level Mm -hmm. that the um, board members are engaged in determining whether or not management has processes and policies in place for important functions and whether they're actually following their processes and policies.
0: Got it. No, that makes good sense. Um, Lisa you've worked for a long time in the quality field what are some of the things that you see um, as gaps particularly if we're talking non-for-profit health systems that um, engender questions about sort of board oversight
3: well again I think it feels like the tyranny of the urgent you know everybody's trying to manage to the current day problem um, with little to no information right dashboards is spot-on I agree with her Um, We just haven't done a great job. There's all types of analytics tools in the market, and people have bought and spent all kind of money on EHRs and still are struggling with kind of this core competency dashboard that they need of how well is my organization doing. And from a board-level perspective, it feels as though they're not able to elevate to that high level that she's described because they're all still too tactical and in the operations so you know again i have worked with a lot of healthcare organizations and some seem to function much better than others my mm-hmm. guess is that if i knew the board activities that would probably be a core indicator and that would be a key indicator of their success um so i you know again i i think that the leadership i'm very interested in kind of that profile we talked about of what do you really look for in in a very successful board member or team of, of board members um, because I think they, again, they can help drive that healthcare organization to hire the right leaders inside of the hospital, um, and then everything trickles you know, from top down for sure. So um, I've seen very effective organizations, and I've been on the lower levels where it was ineffective, and everything was chaotic. So... I do think that if they if they structure correctly at the higher level, I mean, it's, it sounds, Pam. You have all this great experience. I'm sure you see the the difference between an organization that you come into that's a bit of a, a bit of a mess, and then you help put in the structure, and again, everything flows downhill. So, um, you know. I, I think that there is a, a definite cause and effect when you don't have someone thinking about strategy and right. having the opportunity to actually execute on strategy.
0: Yep. So that brings us back actually, Pam, to what you had started off as a list of kind of best practice characteristics of, you know, high performing boards. The first was you talked about, you know, they're visionary based upon mission. Um, They understand who we're serving they under or ask the questions Are we actually meeting the needs of those we serve and then the second was about robust dialogue? Which this seems to to be connected to in other words, do you actually understand what? uh, The organization is doing and at a macro level are you providing guidance and oversight to be able to make that? um, Happen so the the question that I have is is there any other? insight or detail around that robust dialogue and if you had to put forward a third uh, sort of best practice, what would that be?
1: Well, interestingly enough, I think it comes right back to what we spent a lot of time talking about today and that is the competency skills and perspectives on the board. And mm-hmm. you we know, to what Lise was saying, making sure that you're very intentional around um, what what your criteria are for people who are going to serve on a board, and I mean that both in terms of all together, what does the board need to have? You know, what skills and perspectives, and then even at a um, personality and behavioral level, are these individuals who can think strategically, who have experience in complex organizations, and can understand how to help oversee a complex organization, as opposed to people who are rolling up their sleeves and trying to, you know, get into the details on any particular line item in the budget about how to decrease costs by $10,000. You know, that's not the right role for
0: a board member of a hospital or a health system nowadays. Right. Exactly. That reminds me by the way, of uh, one of the comments from Jim Collins books about, you know, first who, then what, Mm -hmm. right. If you don't have the right people on the bus, it's going to be very hard to manage effectively down to where you need to be. Well, um, Pam, I want to thank you again for joining us. We are at the end of our time um, for our deep dive session, and it's it's proved to be really insightful. One reminder for listeners, we have the next Leader Dialogue uh, event coming up June 6th and 7th here in Atlanta. It's a non-profit health system innovation council. Pam uh, and I will be uh, facilitating along with Dr. Roger Spoolman, uh, and uh, for those organizations and CEOs and boards that are interested in that. We are we, we encourage you to take a look at that. Um, it's, it's certain to be an exciting session. We also have as a keynote, again, Dr. Morton Hanson, who is the co-author of Great at Work and was the co-author with Jim Collins of Great by Choice. And that is a very invigorating conversation. We, we had him join us in October and it was, it was a smashing success. It was great. So for those listeners that have an interest in that, you can uh, reach back out to us through the Leader Dialogue site and we can provide more information.
2: Thanks so much for joining us. And thank you so much, PAM Connect, for joining us for another session. We really appreciate it. And remember, to all our listeners, you can always listen live every Friday at 1 Eastern time or go to leaderdialogue.com slash podcast. On behalf of Ben, Lisa, and we can't leave out Mike this time as one of our producers. Mike and Trey, thanks for joining us on Business Radio X.